first you told us only through you could we know God and if we dared to question he wouldn't spare the rod for you we worked the soil for you we dug the moors for you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do you say the world around us belongs fairly to the few but about six billion people no doubt will agree this world is our home not your property it's the commons our right of birth and you who would enclose the land all around the earth our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain you who've sacrificed the public good for your private gain with our sweat we built the railroads built cities on these shores but because you own the money Yes, see that it's all yours. We laid the phone lines and the pipelines, and then right before our eyes, you see these things are taxes paid for. You now will privatize. Privatize the hospitals, privatize the schools, privatize the prisons for all those who break your rules and preparing for the day. When all the wells run dry, you say you own the very rain that falls down from the sky, but it's the commons, our right of birth. You who'd own the water all around the earth Our future is your downfall Only cut this ball and shame You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain You claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds Thank you for your patience, listeners. Uh, we are on the air the opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and of the hosts and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good evening and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for April 21st, 2022. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with truer democracy. I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. Today's program follows the many headlines over recent months of successful efforts by employees to form unions at some big-name companies, particularly Amazon and Starbucks. But there are others, so it's a good time to address what's going on in the labor sector of the economy. Our guest today is Mark Brenner. He's the co-director of the Labor Education and Research Center at the University of Oregon in Portland and Eugene, where he focuses on teaching and leadership development. Mr. Brenner is best known for his 12-year tenure directing Labor Notes. That's the common name for what's known as the Labor Education and Research Project, a Detroit-based nonprofit dedicated to putting the movement back in the labor movement. Labor Notes publishes books and a monthly magazine that's titled Labor Notes and provides training and networking events for union and labor activists. At Labor Notes, Brenner co-authored the book Secrets of a Successful Organizer and two other books. His formal education is in economics, for which he has a PhD from the University of California, Riverside. So, let's have a look at A New Day for Labor. Mark Brenner, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Steve and Annie, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you. Exciting days for workers. Yes, it's amazing. It's just amazing. 
Steve, you had a little setup you wanted to do on on the moment, I think. Well, yeah, in, in the big picture of, of time over our generation, uh, the um, uh, you know the income for the uh, unskilled labor in the U.S. it's it's down. I think it's thirty percent is the figure from its peak back in the nineteen seventies. That was before the Reagan administration began its uh, war on labor and when the working class could actually afford homes and uh, poverty was at a minimum. So labor's been trying to claw back its uh, economic status ever since. And recently there's been some remarkable progress uh, in that. And uh, that's the the headlines. And Nanny can start with that, talking about, I think, Amazon recently. Oh, yeah, we're all really celebrating Amazon. Uh, I was was talking to uh, our guest, Mark, earlier about uh, what few victories we've had. Now they're just piling on here. Um, I think I I would really like to kind of do some kind of anatomy of what happened at the Amazon warehouse in in, uh, Staten Island, New York. Uh, Do you want to tell tell us a little bit about why this is an important one? And then maybe we get into some, how did they do it? Because they said it couldn't be done, and they did. Uh, Sure, Annie. Um, First, the obvious point, um, why does it matter that we have the first union victory of its kind in a distribution center at, at Amazon? Well, uh, for most people who have a pulse in this country, <laughs> Amazon is increasingly your lifeline to everything that you want to eat, want to wear, want to watch. Want, uh, they are becoming the, you know, uh, they hope the monopoly on your connection to commerce and entertainment and pretty much everything else. Um, they have over a, thou- uh, a thousand distribu- distribution centers around the country. Uh, to power this incredible uh, network of uh, both products and services that they're in, and groceries now even more that they're starting to deliver. Uh, and they're one of the most fiercely anti-union companies in the world. So um, with Jeff Bezos' uh, just incredible drive and his uh, cutthroat approach to competition, um, Amazon was really the pace setter for what uh, your work was going to be like in the 21st century, and that was a pretty grim picture. Uh, we can get into what conditions are like in Amazon warehouses uh, in a second, um, but the reason this matters is because Amazon is one of the fastest growing companies in the world, uh, really situated strategically in an important sector, you know, logistics and distribution, and have uh, just so aggressively come after every effort by workers in their company to organize uh, in the past. And so people thought it couldn't be done. Uh, and now we're really worried that this meant that um, uh, for a lot of workers in this country and around the world, you, you know, they were going to be operating in this really harsh, top-down um, kind of workplace environment that, that Jeff Bezos has created. And this really offers a an important uh, corrective to that. Um uh, we can talk a little bit more about how workers have done it, but this is the first major breakthrough in what I hope will be uh, not the last, but you know, one of many to come of workers in Amazon warehouses organizing. So I'm, I mean, I couldn't couldn't uh, be more excited. And what is for the labor movement even more important here is that it wasn't, you know, one of the giant unions in the country. And to be fair, as um, Steve was saying. Uh, nobody's a giant compared to any of these corporations and certainly not even a giant compared to, you know, the unions uh, a generation ago. So to see a group of workers without uh, any connection to any international union, not the Teamsters, not the um, food and commercial workers, not 
any of the other uh, unions that have tried and failed to organize uh, at Amazon to see workers just do it themselves. That's a, that's like a double win. Uh, yeah. It really shows that this kind of scrappy grassroots organizing is still possible. Yeah, there's definitely a lesson there for the unions as, as well as uh, the big corporations. Uh, one of the things that was uh, one of the reasons they couldn't do it, and then when it didn't work in Bessemer, Alabama, that proved you couldn't do it, is because of the high turnover rate. And they have a, the, a turnover rate in the warehouses of 100, 150%. I didn't know you could have 150%. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, that's pretty much the strategy that not just Amazon, but a lot of modern corporations have adopted to try and keep unions out, um, which is to say, you know, make the working conditions bad enough that people constantly cycle in and cycle out. And if you can um, standardize the job uh, enough, it, it really doesn't matter if somebody's only been there three months. They know how to throw boxes and, uh, you know, work really grueling 12-hour shifts. And if they don't like it, they can go. Um, and Amazon is an interesting corporation because they also dangle this idea of uh, job security in front of all these folks who cycle through the door that you're going to get that, that blue badge and that you're going to be able to get health care and all the benefits that they that they put on their website uh, touting themselves as such a great corporation. But make no mistake, Annie, I mean, the election that you're dis- discussing that um, drew a, a lot of attention to organizing Amazon. Uh, last year, the, the the failed union drive in Bessemer, Alabama, which I would be remiss if I didn't mention, is still um, up in the air as we speak. Uh, the 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 company was so flagrant in its uh, violations of labor law, so intimidating in their efforts to keep uh, workers at Bessemer, Alabama, from voting for the union that they were uh, found guilty by the National Labor Relations Board of multiple um, unfair labor practices, and the union got to run the election again, which they did right after, right around the same time as the Staten Island uh, uh, election, and they were um, uh, less than 100 votes apart, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, over 475 uh, votes were contested by the company and the union. Uh, mostly by the company. So we may still have another, we may see another win pretty quickly. They're just going through all of those contested ballots uh, and sort of figuring out, are they in the bargaining unit? Are they not? Were they working at the right, you know, when they, um, uh, were they uh, on the payroll at the right time? Or, you know, did they start too late to actually be eligible to vote? All those kinds of um, case by case um, uh, uh, things that we have to do sometimes to, to get representation, so um, I'm, my fingers are still crossed that we might see another um, uh, union union victory at Amazon in the very near future. If not, again in Staten Island, because there's another uh, organizing drive by the Amazon Labor United, which is the independent union that, that just won this incredible breakthrough in Staten Island at a sister facility. So it could be just a a, 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 um, a hat trick for union organizing at Amazon if we're lucky. There's a detail here that I don't know about Amazon, actually. Uh, the uh, the articles I read suggest, but didn't say clearly, that there are multiple warehouses at uh, uh, the same site, same large site, but each one is somehow a different entity so that their unionization drives are separate for each one, something like that? Uh, yeah, that that's very common, actually, with a lot of these um, distribution centers, and Amazon has really perfected that. Um, you know, they may have different kinds of commodities going through different warehouses. You know, some are really high turnover, fast moving, some are slower or have, you know, heavier, bulkier items. And so they, they have uh, 
studied this down to a science and has set up all of these systems, not just to move things from uh, wherever they're made to, to your house as fast as humanly possible, but also to maximize their ability to kind of control the system. Uh, and Annie, you were asking about it before, but um, it, it's a it, two things to say about Amazon. One, it's an incredibly punishing uh, uh, pace of work. Injury rates are really high. Uh, sometimes you can't even get a break to go to the bathroom for hours. Uh, so that's part of the, the and you're surveilled uh, from the moment you walk in the door until the moment you nice. walk out of the door. It's really like working for Big Brother. And so that's a lot of why people leave and why it's also really hard to win. I mean, during the Bessemer vote, they were um, engaging in every union busting tactic in the book. They even timed all the stoplights coming in and out of the of the uh, warehouse so that um, workers um, wouldn't be stopping at, at the at the stoplight, or there wouldn't be a line forming where union organizers could like come up to their car window and talk to them. They were trying to make sure everybody <laughs> got as far away from those union organizers as they could. It was unbelievable. They put uh, uh, mailboxes on the on site so people could fill out their ballots under the close supervision of their uh, foreman, and then you know drop them in the mailbox. It was it was really. Um, a kangaroo court there, and that's why the NLRB um, overturned uh, the initial vote from last year and gave them a chance to do it again. Now, that was at Bessemer you were referring to, I believe. That's right. Okay, and um, was that kind of intimidation uh, an issue in um, uh, uh, Staten Island? Absolutely. Amazon does that everywhere where people organize. But what was really interesting about the Staten Island um, case and why I think they won is because one of the things that every corporation does when you try and form a union is they uh, make a big deal about how the union is this third party, this this outsider, you know, that's trying to come into our little family here in the workplace and wreck us, you know, wreck our home. And, um, you know, there is always a little bit of traction that you can get with that if, in fact, uh, there are, you know, union staff or people who don't work in the workplace that are there to promote the union. Um, and what was really special about the Staten Island um, organizing was that it was homegrown. Everybody that was uh, organizing the, the workers in that warehouse, for the most part, worked there. So they not only could say, uh, the, I'm not, you know, some uh, hired gun from outside. Here's my badge. You know, I, I, I work the swing shift, you know, and they had access to the property in their off hours. So they would come in and have conversations in the break rooms. Uh, with people who were working that day, um, people coming on their day off. They set up uh, a tent outside as people were walking to work um, or walking into the um, into the warehouse. They would talk, they would see their coworkers and they would talk to them for, they did this for months running up to the boat. So they really um, kind of punctured the, you know, and just sort of uh, popped the, 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 the balloon that, that Amazon had created in Bessemer that this was really, um, done by outsiders that were just trying to um, pursue their own agenda. Um, because people really saw, hey, these are our coworkers, um, it really increased the level of trust and respect that they had. And then they, you know, they did all the things that you got to do to organize. You know, they figured out who were the people who had been there a long time, who had influence, who were trusted, who's trusted, who's respected. They recruited those to the cause, those folks to the cause. They figured out like uh, who were the leaders and what departments they talked to them and got them on the union program. And, uh, you know, it paid off in spades. Yeah. It's a, Oh, it's a wonderful story. And then, uh, I think there's two points that you, you're kind of touching on, which is a recurring theme in labor notes, which is that, um, the, the organizing needs to happen from the bottom up. 
and that you can't just be like a big union and get a paid professional staff to uh, plot all the strategy. It has to be the workers that are doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's what's really inspiring, not just about um, what happened in Staten Island for, for Amazon, but what we're also seeing happening with Starbucks. Yeah. Um, because I promise you, Starbucks Workers United <laughs> is not a, a, a big operation. It's really a handful of people who are doing their best to give people advice when they need it and, and you know, kind of cheer them on. Because uh, it's, it's a moment where, you know, a lot of unions really don't have the capacity to do sort of the perfectly organized and strategically um, sound uh, campaign at a non-union company. And I think it, we're, we're, we're better off for it. Uh, in a lot of respects, has led to a lot more um, improvisation, a lot more experimentation. Um, and it really has put a lot more of the control of how organizing happens in the hands of the people who are going to stand the most to gain from it, namely the, the people that work in the workplaces that are trying to do, to do these union drives. I think we do have to be honest, though, that the the hero of uh of the Amazon of Staten Island success uh, was a pretty unusual guy, Christian Smalls. Um, he has uh, leadership qualities in, in his, likes unions. His mother belongs to a union, a hardworking woman belongs to a union, so he had a predisposed to unions. And then he had an absent father and siblings, so he was in charge of taking care of the kids as he was growing up. So he had kind of a strong nurturing personality to begin with. And then for a year or more, he just gave over his entire life to doing this, and that's something else not everyone would be able to do. Absolutely. Um, Chris Smalls is somebody that I met uh when I still lived in New York, which was over four years ago, this is a, something he's been working on uh, for quite some time when he himself was working at Amazon and, you know, subsequently got fired and um, so has stayed with it. So that's not an everyday occurrence. You don't find a lot of people who are like, OK, well, I might have been fired two or three years ago, but I'm going to keep organizing <laughs> in this warehouse uh, to make sure that everybody who's left behind gets a uh, gets a union. Uh, and that's, a, you know, we need that kind of dedication. Um, it's a very common story, actually, that uh, the, there's no overnight success, right? These are like the 10-year the overnight success. <laughs> uh, and, 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 oh, go ahead, Steve. Uh, just let me mention to, to listeners. Now, he was fired two years ago, almost exactly. And it was for, well, complaining, I guess you call it, but bringing up uh, problems with uh, COVID protocols and, and safety mm -hmm. from protocols. So it was, I think it was March, uh, but still two years ago. And, and was fired. So and then he stuck with the issue after that. I have a, a sort of a, a legal question, perhaps, but um, you mentioned, and I would read this also in the articles, that, uh, that the um, organizers had access to the break rooms. Now, how did that work? Because those are on the company property. And so how, you know, do you know anything about that, 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 that particular detail? Yeah. I mean, the, the key was that the, the people who were doing most of that internal organizing were still active employees. So like ah. Christian Smalls, he couldn't get into the break room because he had been, he had, you know, was fired two years ago, mm -hmm. but most of the key leaders on this campaign were active employees. And so, uh, they could go in on their day off and, uh, you know, have access to the property. And I think, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, you know, you could imagine that if Amazon had wanted to, they would have said, well, you know, you can only be in the building when you're actively working. You That's what I would have thought. Yeah. You know, and I think they, 
you know, we may see them try and <laughs> lock down their their warehouses from here on forward because, uh, you know, of, of the success that that sort of property access uh, gave to the um, Amazon Labor United um, effort in Staten Island. But I don't know. Um, I think the biggest thing was really um, people seeing that these were not, you know, some outsiders. These were their own coworkers, seeing their coworkers consistently organizing and agitating for improvements on the job and standing up to, to managers even before they uh, had a union vote, even before they got, they were um, really had any kind of modicum of, of protection for concerted activity or organizing. Um, people were sort of getting, um, you know, their spine stiffened by watching their coworkers, uh, you know, advocate for themselves um, and I didn't want to, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention something that Annie talked about, which is that uh, one thing that's very important about the New York experience is that a lot of the people that worked there had, if not themselves, union experience, had had family members with union experience. Um, because New York is one of the most union dense states in the country, um, people's parents had been, uh, you know, working in hospitals or working for the city and had been in unions. So a lot of um, the key leaders if they themselves didn't have, you know, prior union experience, they had it in their family. They were familiar with what unions did. They understood the value of, of unionism, and, and it really drove a lot of their actions and, and increased their commitment to the cause. I think what you're talking about, uh, too, is important that uh, it was sort of a pantser movement. Yeah, um, Christian Smalls has a very close friend, Derek Palmer, who continued to be employed by Amazon and was legally inside the building and they worked together. So they had it covered inside and outside. And that was also a pretty, pretty strong, um, thing that they had going. I think. Absolutely. But I mean, I think where you started at the top of the show is really the, the most important point to, uh, to put out there, which is that, um, you know, we're in a moment where striking while the iron is hot is really producing um, big, big wins, you know, very important breakthroughs. Um, but none of this was an overnight success. This was stuff that people have been working on for years. Uh, they were just ready to go when the, t when the conditions were ripe. Uh, and I think that's another lesson that, you know, union organizers uh, really should take heed of, which is that we need to be ready when the moment presents itself to, to run as far and as fast as we can. And the company makes some bad mistakes, like uh, firing Smalls was one of them. He was <laughs> fired for being concerned that the people were shoulder to shoulder in the break rooms and there was no uh, provisions for safety if COVID was raging and there was people that were there who were positive, who couldn't stay home because uh, Amazon says, sure, you can stay home, but we won't pay you. So, of course, they come to work because they need the money. And so I, I think when they fired him, uh, some of the other corporate entities said well hey that may not be a good idea and uh, but they did it anyway and it, it's true the, the people were very sympathetic uh with smalls uh well he was fighting for something that they were all worried about and i think that happened again with starbucks that there was a worker with leukemia that they wouldn't uh, let her off and she collapsed on the job uh people uh, the, the unions uh can be ready to take advantage of the big corporate mistakes and they make those all the time. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would uh, dispute what you're saying, Annie, about the, the degree of frustration and almost um, just blatant, uh, you know, 
seething anger that that people are carrying to work, especially essential workers are carrying to work uh, after two years of this pandemic. Um, and being able to channel that into organizing has been a, a real challenge, but it, it's been a real powerhouse when people have been able to do it. And it's important to say, I mean, you know, Staten Island was certainly a lot bigger than Chris Smalls and that this was one of the, this was really a, a, like all, you know, movements, all, you know, big uh, successes for working people. I mean, there were hundreds of people who were involved in this, in the background who played other roles who just don't get as much name recognition or credit. And um, I think that's really what we see with Starbucks because, you know, there's no way that, that Howard Schultz or any of the other executives there are going to be able to paint this as a, you know, a one person operation. You've got dozens and dozens of Starbucks um, outlets all over the country filing for uh, union elections. We just won a union election down in Eugene. I was there for the vote count. Um, uh, 17 to zero hey. uh, <laughs> Starbucks store in, 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 in the home of university in, in the, you know, home of university of Oregon. So we're really proud of that. And uh, all the, the stores, I think there are nine of them in Eugene have filed for um, union representation. So it's a, it's an exciting time. I want to mention something on a little bit lighter topic, uh, but regarding the opportune moment for uh, listeners that hadn't heard this in the news, the uh, w- w- one opportune moment, was when a guy named Bezos <laughs> shot himself off into space, and uh, and while he was doing that, his uh, his workers were organizing on the ground. The organizer of the Staten Island uh, uh, warehouse, uh, Christian Smalls, publicly thanked Mr. Bezos for doing that and heading up into space for a while. Oh, that was precious because Bezos came back from space and said, I want to thank all my workers for making that possible for me. You know, when he was like, had his boot on their necks. So, uh, so, uh, Chris Smalls, he, uh, he was accused by the uh, executives of Amazon of not being articulate, but he proved them wrong because he me- immediately turned that around on Bezos. Thank you for going into space because while you were out there, we were organizing. <laughs> we are available for taking calls here. The number is 895-2448. And we are speaking with Mark Brenner, the co-director of the Labor Education and Research Center at the University of Oregon. And you are out of Portland, is it? Is that, uh, is that right? That's right. Okay. The People's Republic of Portland. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> uh, independent thinking town these days. He's past director of Labor Notes, for which Annie is a subscriber. And, uh, and you have several years of experience at that organization also. Uh, again, the number is 707, of course, 895-2448. And we want to also remind our listeners that we are in our quiet drive to raise money for our new building. Uh, it was a move uh, we had to make or we would lose our line of sight and our airways would be completely blocked. Um, but it would turn out to be a good thing all around this move because now KZOX will have it all. We're centrally located and we maintain our satellite studios. And Renee, one of our favorite people at KZYX, she will be in the the Philo Satellite Studio after the move is completed. So we feel like we're still staffed at our home where we came from. But the thing about this wonderful new place that we're going to be getting that's centrally located and we can have a cool signal again, um, and so we have to pay for it. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're um, asking you to go to kzyx.org and find that donut, donut, <laughs> donate button. We'll send you a donut if you donate. Actually, we'll send you a mug for there. That's, yeah, that's you're going to get a mug. <laughs> right. We have, a, we have a new drinking mug for, uh, for donations. 
Okay, so yeah, meanwhile, back at um, the celebration we're having here with uh, all of this stuff going on with uh, the workers of the world, or at least of the United States, who have arisen, and uh, there's still so many problems. One of the things we we should probably say before we get too much farther with the celebration is now that uh, the Amazon workers at Staten Island Warehouse have won their election, their work is just beginning. Absolutely. Now they've got to get a contract, uh, which is unfortunately a huge problem. This is not new to uh, Staten Island Amazon workforce. This is something that's been a problem in this country for the, at least the last 30 years, that one of the tried and true techniques of, of the union busting um, uh, set is that, okay, if we can't stop them from voting the union in, we can just wait them out and not give them a deal and uh, decertify them a year later, which is, uh, you know, something that we'll definitely have to worry about in Staten Island and be watchful from. Um, I, I, I don't know if your listeners know this, but um, union busting is a really big, uh, it's big time. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry in this country. Um, and it really, uh, it, it is, uh, I wouldn't say it's an art form because it's actually pretty, simple <laughs> the playbook is pretty transparent and they use it everywhere they go uh but it it is uh it's a big business that's for sure so you're not you're not wrong at all Annie. We, we've only just begun uh and it's going to take just as much uh organizing probably more so to to get amazon to agree to a first contract you said decertify a year later what are you exactly referring to there so um when you, in under u.s labor law when you want to form a union uh, what you have to do is you have to um, uh, join together with your coworkers, and um, if you can get a majority of them to vote in favor of uh, uh, your represent, you need a collective bargaining agent to be your representative. Usually, it's a union that exists already that might be coming in to organize your workplace. It can be a new one that you start, just like they did in Staten Island. Um, but that becomes the exclusive. Uh, bar bargaining agent for your workplace. So they have the right to bargain a contract on behalf of everybody that works there. Um, but after uh, a year, uh, after if you win a union election, after one year, the company, uh, if they haven't already signed a contract, then they can go back to the workers and say, hey, were you really serious about this union thing? And make them vote it again. Uh, it, the vote so is election. initiated by the employer where they say, we would like to get rid of that union as your exclusive collective bargaining agent. Do you agree with us? And um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times after a year of getting nowhere at the bargaining table, um, workers decide it's not worth the hassle or I don't want to take the risks and, and they um, they vote the union out. So so this is, you know, this is a really critical time for for this new newly formed union in Staten Island. And it's it's really a hard time for anyone who, who organizes under current labor law, which is you know, most definitely in need of some serious reform. We can quantify the uneven fight uh, you talked about. The Amazon anti-union uh, fund uh, was like $4.3 million or something like that. And uh, what uh, the Amazon worker labor, the Amazon labor union, the, the union that they created, they had a GoFundMe account with $120,000. So that's $120,000 versus... $4.3 million. And, that, and that's just what we know about, Annie. I mean, as I said, union busting in this country is a multi-billion dollar industry. 
my co-director Gordon Lafer at the at the Labor Center at University of Oregon. He did a study a couple years back, uh, and this is just based on what we could actually document. You know, there's all kinds of other uh, union busting money that gets funneled through legal services or other, you know, gets cloaked in all kinds of ways. But he estimated that uh, companies are spending about $350 million a year uh, on union busting in this country. So it's it's big business. Um, and we're going to just see a lot more of it uh, as, the, as, as the times go. But um, what's really exciting about both what we saw in Staten Island at the Amazon warehouse and what we're seeing at Starbucks stores all over the country now is that the union busting is kind of falling flat um, with both with the sort of current mood in the workforce and definitely these kind of DIY union efforts that have been cropping up. Uh, Union busting seems a lot less effective for that. Well, that's a trend I'd like to know more about. You know, the the mood of the country was influenced heavily back in the 80s, you know, in that era when, uh, you know, the war on labor began during the Reagan era. And they had a they had unfortunately a good spokesperson being the president at the time, uh, uh, anti-labor person. But, uh, you know, attitudes seem shifting. So what do you see uh, in that uh, category? Well, I I think, you know, uh, we're definitely in a period of um, frustration and people sort of hitting their limits with um, poor, you know, sort of lousy job quality and, you know, all of the um, lip service that people have paid to um, what it means to be essential um, if I'm so essential, uh, you know, as a grocery store worker or a healthcare worker, you know, why can't I get a day off? Mm-hmm. Uh, why do I have such a lousy retirement plan? Why can't I pay my bills? And people are uh, really starting to, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's a take this job and shove it moment, Steve, <laughs> uh, but you'll definitely remember that movie. And that reference. Uh, so I, th- I think that really is some of what we're seeing. People are just sort of fed up and they're, and, and they're not worried about um, their ability to go get another job if they want to. I mean, we saw some of this definitely the last time we had a uh, really big uh, uptick in worker activity back in the, um, in the seventies. Uh, there was a lot of, um, I think a lot of young people felt like, I'm not going to take this. And we're certainly seeing that today. I think um, people leaving their jobs, people um, just leaving the labor market altogether saying, I deserve better than that. And uh, I think that's really um, given a lot of us who are still working in the workplace today uh, a little bit more leverage. And uh, maybe I wouldn't go so far as to say the upper hand with our employers, but um there's a reason that, uh, you know, the um, 24-hour convenience store, the mini mart down a block from my house is now paying $18 an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not because it's not because the plant pantry CEO decided he wanted to, out of the goodness of his heart, reward those folks who, uh, who uh, work 24 hours, you know, do the late night shifts and deal with all the uh, interesting characters that walk into the store in the middle of the night. Uh, it's because they they can't get people to come in any other way, and I think that's really we're seeing that from uh, Taco Bell to you know to Kaiser Permanente. Uh, it's happening all over the all over the workforce. We have a call coming in. Hello, call. You're live on the air. Hi, uh, my name is Otto, and I'm a proud union member. Um, I work and live here in Ukiah. I'm a member of the Teamster uh, Union, and uh, I'm, we're members of a very unusual union because I happen to be an attorney. 
and there is a union of uh, Teamsters that got together, and they are district attorneys and public defenders and uh, child uh, service attorneys who work for the county. And we formed a union 15 years ago, and we did go on strike. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to our brothers and sisters in the SEIU because they were also supportive of us. And while there's oftentimes uh, perhaps uh, class uh, warfare or divisions, perhaps you aren't that sympathetic to uh, people who are attorneys, we had secretaries and administrative assistants and court clerks who worked uh, in the courthouse that also uh, would not cry across the picket line. And uh, we, of course, supported them when they were um, uh, about to, to strike. And it's kind of ironic because most people think of unions as, uh, you know, labor workers and pipe fitters and these kinds of things. But we are in solidarity with the people in the community because for a long time this county was known as in the legal profession as kind of a training county and people would come here for a year or two and move on. Uh, and uh, the fact is if you want people to move here, to buy a home, to have if they have children and invest in the community, we are all part of one brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it, because if you have people who want to stay and invest in the community, whether it's supporting the local economy, that's what we do, and it provides a foundation and stability for the, the city, for the county, for the tax basis. Um, and um, so a shout-out to all the other SEIU uh, union members who supported us, and we support them. And there is a going to be a, um, a renegotiation of the contracts this summer. And the fact is we all have to stay together. It may seem kind of odd to be supportive of a, someone who happens to have a law degree, but we all have lives and houses and mortgages and children and family and uh, support the community, and we're much stronger to uh, being together. So um, shout out, go union. Uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, and you know, the Amazon work, the Amazon Labor Union, they had an attorney who worked for free for them. So there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Super. And, and doing what we do, believe me, uh, both defense attorneys and district attorneys could make a lot more money uh, going into private practice, and there could be nothing more important for society than to have qualified prosecutors and qualified defense attorneys for uh, uh, social justice and to make sure that the system is, 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 is done properly and protecting people's constitutional rights and it um again uh so thank you very much okay. for the show thanks Love for your call mm -hmm. bye-bye okay tell, steve okay. can i just tell folks mm -hmm. um if uh uh you know otto thought it was a bit strange that uh public defenders and da's would end up in the teamsters union uh that same su subset of uh the court system in new york city uh they're they're part of the united auto workers 
So uh, <laughs> it's another lesson that I think we're learning in this labor movement in you know the 21st century is that uh, the unions that had a base um, in a, you know in heavy industry or in trucking uh, have really um, been a, many of them are, are searching for ways to you know expand into different um, sectors of the economy and if they're going to survive as labor organizations they're going to need to do more of that and uh, so it's exciting to hear that um, you know all the way up in Ukiah we've got a, a, t- a non-traditional teamster presence yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's, it seems like. Work. It's like uh, the, during this flowering of the unions, uh, the tech workers are organizing now, aren't they? Uh, well, I mean, again, it's the it's the ten year overnight success, uh, Annie. Oh. <laughs> um, actually, it's more than ten years. It's probably twenty years now that we've been seeing tech workers uh, at Microsoft, at Google, uh, um, even before Google existed. Um, you know. Uh, uh, people trying to do the same kinds of things that we are now seeing flower in uh, in Amazon, you know, to bring uh, folks that do programming coding uh, that work for these big tech companies into the house of labor. And, um, you know, it's been tough. These are not, uh, these are companies who um, have a very paternalistic uh, attitude towards the people that work there they think oh well, we you know have a chef on site you have little scooters you can ride around the office in why do you need a union you know you've got the best job on the planet uh and we pay you well too but of course um after you spend a little time in any of these big companies you know it, it, you might as well be working on the assembly line at gm right in terms of what they expect from you and how much freedom you really have uh, and so that's why i think we're seeing whether it's tech workers whether it's um folks in the public sector, whether it's retail workers, um, you know, people at Fresh Direct. I mean, everywhere you look, people are um, are realizing that uh, things aren't going to get better unless they take matters into their own hands and start organizing. It's really funny that one of the gimmicks that the union does, well, they have these forced meetings. We have to hear this. I mean, I'm sorry. One of the gimmicks that the, the corporations do, the union-busting um, gimmicks, is to force people into meetings where they – you mentioned before that the the corporation is a family, you know, and these are outsiders, uh, which reminded me a little bit of one of the things that um, the Amazon – uh, Christian Smalls did uh, was he kind of made a family at the, he would uh, st- he put up a tent at the bus stop you said and he would stay there as people the workers arrive for work and he had um, music and they had food his aunt I think brought home cooking down there <laughs> and then when he had got to see everybody the same people every day then he started sleeping there and talking to the night crews you know so he ended up with a people had a they had built a family there i think they were holding hands and praying together when somebody's in trouble uh they really did build that and it was kind of something that that people that live in a or work in a place that's too small for a union to come to you can always do that you can uh have picnics with your co-workers and get to know their families and 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 make one of those things that the corporations talked about only make a real one Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference. Everybody uh, knows what passes the sniff test and what doesn't. And uh, <laughs> I can definitely tell you when it comes to the um, messaging from Starbucks headquarters or Amazon headquarters, it definitely fails the sniff test. <laughs> there was a really great story where um, uh, in a recent um, Starbucks organizing drive, one of the managers was trying to, you know, have one of these. Int- 
intimidation meetings with a, a barista she pulled her aside and she was you know asking her you know if she supported the union and she was kind of giving her the company talking points and um she she you know was clearly hadn't hadn't practiced enough because she ended up <laughs> at the end of the meeting giving the um script that she had been given by corporate hq to the barista and they published it online it was very funny because it had a little part little part here where it says insert personal story uh add your favorite starbucks memory help barista set up a benefit uh that, that, that when they show interest in it you know like it was just you know the classic stuff but just sort of with a little bit of starbucks flair and um you know and i'm really happy that people are seeing right through it um because it, it is it is I, I don't want to downplay as much inspiration and excitement as we're seeing here i mean we've been through now a three or almost four decade long uh one-sided class war and so it's it's very scary for folks to think about standing up to their boss and you know organizing and facing down these intimidation uh tactics uh it's a you know it's not every day that somebody's going to stand up in a, a management meeting and start shouting the supervisor down and telling them hey you know you don't have the right to intimidate us like this we have a right to form a union that's that takes a, a certain amount of courage, but we know from organizing when people are more mad than they are afraid, good things can happen. Mm -hmm. Super. We have uh, just a couple of minutes, about a minute and a half left here to the program. Uh, can you tell us a little bit then about uh, Labor Notes and the organization there, the Labor Education and Research Center? Well, so uh, they're almost the same age, uh, been around 43 years here at the, the Labor Center. Uh, we are dedicated to helping build a stronger working class uh, in the state of Oregon and around the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we do trainings, um, uh, research uh, that helps uh, a pro-worker legislative agenda in our state. And um, we work with all sorts of pro-worker institutions from immigrant rights groups to environmental groups to traditional labor unions, all in the name of trying to bring uh, working people together and, and build a real pro-working majority in this state um, to, to make this a state where working people can, can not just survive, but thrive. And um, Labor Notes, uh, where I used to work, uh, you know, where my heart still is, is uh, it's an organization that was founded in 1979 dedicated to put the movement back in the labor movement. Now, we picked a really bad time to start. That was really, okay. as Steve was saying, kind of the beginning <laughs> of the of the open class war uh, right on the you know the, the cusp of the reagan era um but we've been around for 43 years um helping workers organize and connect workers across the country if you really want to get a feeling for what a labor movement can be uh you want to be at the labor notes conference uh, which happens every two years this this year it's going to be this june in chicago 17th 18th and 19th of june um if you want to, you know, feel that old time religion and really see what's possible and hear the stories from some of the best 15 seconds around the country, mm -hmm. then that's where you want to be. Chicago, Illinois. Okay. Uh, this June. And that's at labornotes.org. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.